You're listening to the Redeemed Sexuality Podcast, where sexuality meets discipleship. I'm your host, Drew Boa. What is sexual wholeness? Sometimes I wonder what will happen to my sexuality in heaven. I know I'll have a resurrected body with all my anatomy and glorious condition, but Jesus said there would be no marriage at the resurrection. So, what happens to sex? Frankly, I don't know. In the meantime, every once in a while, we get little previews of what it will be like. At weddings, we get a taste of the great wedding to come, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Christian life is all about preparing for the delight of that day. So here's what I want to know. How can our sexual choices now align with the age to come? What marks of maturity and sanctification are we moving towards? In other words, what is sexual wholeness? I want to highlight three themes of sexual wholeness that matter now and that will last forever. Purity, pleasure, and procreation. Each of these themes reveals who God is and what eternity with him will be filled with. Sexual purity reflects God's love. Sexual pleasure reflects God's joy. And sexual reproduction reflects God's generosity. First, purity. The word purity has picked up a lot of baggage over the years, so I hesitate to use it at all. For some, this word represents everything that is wrong and backwards about Christian sex education. As my friend Sean Maney points out, arguments for sexual purity tend to revolve around fear. Fear of disease, premarital pregnancy, or heartache. And much of the porn recovery movement does the same thing, promoting purity based on fear of erectile dysfunction or divorce. In either case, purity is seen as the absence of sinful and dangerous behavior. This attitude drives me crazy because it's so legalistic and unbiblical. Sexual purity is not about fear. It's about God's love. It's not a state of perfection which can be lost. It's a quality of character which can be gained. It's not about becoming unlike the devil. It's about becoming like Christ. Not tiptoeing around God's boundaries for sexual behavior but actively following Jesus in relationships that are healthy and holy. And that is something, my friends, that we will be doing forever, for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity. We will not just be avoiding lust. We will be advancing in love for God and others. Let me tell you about someone who puts this into practice, my friend Stephen. Every day, Stephen walks to work. On the way, he usually passes a number of attractive women, So what does he do? Tell himself, look away, look away, don't think bad thoughts. No, when he passes by someone sexy, he says this prayer. Lord, she is very beautiful. You created her. Please draw her to yourself. See the difference? He's not just resisting temptation, he's following Jesus. This is purity, not just avoiding lust, but advancing in Christ-like love. Stephen's story reminds me that sexual purity is not the opposite of sexual pleasure. We can delight in the beauty of human bodies in a pure way, even if we're single, because God's design is also about pleasure. Where did we get the idea that God is somehow suspicious of sexual satisfaction? After all, it was his idea in the first place. The Bible actually celebrates sex quite graphically. The book of Proverbs commands husbands to rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. What a command. Clearly, God affirms the goodness and beauty of sexual experiences. As the title of one new book puts it, God loves sex. 
Some of us need to get more comfortable with this. Instead of watching our parents enjoy their sexuality in appropriate ways, we watch them pretend like they didn't have sexual desires or feelings at all. Or, if they did, that those desires should be shut down and suppressed and not talked about. We need to be loud and clear with our words and our actions that our sexuality is good. When I think about who really understands that, my friend Shannon comes to mind. She's always talking about how hot her husband is and how amazingly sexually attractive he is. And for a while, I was really uncomfortable with that until I realized, wait, she's actually not ashamed of her sexuality and she's enjoying it according to God's design. Why shouldn't she? Shannon understands that part of sexual wholeness is taking pleasure in the good and sexy things that God has created. But you don't have to be married or in a romantic relationship to include physical pleasure as part of your sexuality. I want to tell you about my friend Steve. Steve is in his 50s. He's not married, but he wishes he was. Even though he doesn't have a wife, he does have a sailboat. When Steve goes sailing on Lake Michigan, he experiences pleasure in his body, intimacy with others, and wonder at the beauty of God. This is a holy and righteous expression of his single sexuality that's super satisfying, even though sex is not a part of it. Which leads us back to our original question. Will there be sex in heaven? Again, I don't know, but there will be pleasure. There will be intimacy and there will be wonder far beyond what our bodies can currently experience. So you see, sexual pleasure is not the opposite of purity. It's part of the same picture of embracing God's good design for our bodies and our relationships. But there's one more piece of that design we haven't talked about yet. Procreation. Out of every commandment in the entire Bible, do you know which one appears first? Be fruitful and multiply. Reproduce. Make babies. It's a provocative command. God could have made humans multiply in any number of ways, but he specifically chose to make reproduction a sexual experience, to make it intimate, to make it so that the covenant of marriage would lead to the creation of new life. So just as sexual purity reflects God's love and sexual pleasure God's joy, sexual reproduction is a showcase of God's great generosity. This helps us understand why for most of church history, Christians have seen procreation as the central aspect of sex. Having kids was not a choice. It was seen as a calling for every couple whenever possible. Having sex while trying to prevent pregnancy would have been seen as resisting the will of God and disobeying his first commandment. Now, I'm not saying we need to go back to those days, but I am saying that in Western culture, we have deprioritized and de-emphasized procreation so much that it's not even a part of the picture anymore. Having sex and having kids don't need to go together. We view them as two completely different things. This way of thinking didn't come from the Bible. It came from the invention of latex in the 1930s and the sexual revolution of the 1960s. What I am saying is this. We need to reprioritize God's first command. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, I'm not saying everyone should go out and conceive a child. Everyone can and should reflect God's generosity by bringing new life into the world we're in. And that can be true sexually as well as spiritually. In the first Great Commission, God commanded us to go out and make babies. In the second Great Commission, God commanded us to go out and make disciples. 
Some of us are called to make babies. All of us are called to make disciples. Either way, procreation has eternal consequences. That baby you make or that disciple you lead might just live forever. So, procreation reflects God's generosity. It's the gift of giving life. The family I know that does this the best is the Matniks. They're a foster family. They have three biological children and an adopted daughter. They gave birth to three, but they're discipling four, leading them, loving them, taking pleasure in them. And this is an example of sexual wholeness, purity, pleasure, and procreation. This is what it looks like, not just to tolerate God's design for sex, but to embrace it, to prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus, our coming King. What will it be like when he comes back to make all things new, including our broken sexuality? What will it be like to live forever, resurrected and redeemed, sexually whole and in perfect harmony with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I can tell you this much. There will be purity. We'll love God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and we'll love others exactly as ourselves. There will be no more shame or fear or lust, and it will be impossible to sexually sin. There will be pleasure. We'll enjoy the redemption of our bodies and the glory of God filling heaven and earth to the brim. And there will be the products of our procreation. Babies we made and babies they made. Disciples we made and disciples they made. Men and women will be there who we led on the journey of discipleship. Maybe even sexual discipleship. And it's this eternal perspective that inspires us towards sexual wholeness until Christ returns bringing with him the experience of intimacy and delight that we've been longing for all along. What difference does an eternal perspective make in your approach to sexuality?